Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Spliff Podcast. I'm Bo Nellis, and let's get started. I'm already a little late in getting this out. It's still going to be out on Thursday, and I didn't get myself a time limit on when I should put it out, but I tried to record this yesterday, and in celebration of the edible episode, I tried a new edible, and I took too much. (laughs) So now I have to record over again because... I didn't even bother listening back. Just thinking back, I'm like, oh, I forgot that. And I forgot that. And how many times did I say, all right, no, back to that's what we were talking about. And, uh, you know, it, it shows that even the best and most experienced of us mess up sometimes. If you're adventurous enough to try. I was trying a bang bar and I just had too many cannabinoids. But we'll talk more about that later. Uh, In the meantime, so much is happening legally right now. And I do want to uh, get on my little soapbox and be a little blunt. Let's get blunted. uh, Talk about some political stuff. California passed legislation that would allow a, or actually that would create a regulatory bureau to oversee the sale of medical cannabis. It won't be in full effect until 2018, and it's going to permit pretty much every step of the way, which means it's probably going to be taxed on every step of the way, which means it probably is going to increase some of the the pricing, which might be weird for the state overall, seeing as places like Los Angeles dispensaries pre-ICO are grandfathered in. Uh, so there's some weirdness there, but it also does some really great things where one, Local agencies uh, like city councils and and governing bodies are actually going to be able to take a stand and create uh, laws that allow for the legalization of dispensaries in their area now that the state has taken some initiative. I know that was a big excuse for a lot of people, not all of them. I'm sure there will still be plenty of dry counties in California, unfortunately but it's definitely a step in the right direction. So that's really big. Ohio just uh, voted down issue two, no, issue three, which would have given rise to legal medical cannabis in Ohio, but it would have given it to the backers of the issue, basically creating a monopoly situation in Ohio. And voters overwhelmingly voted against that. It was a two to one majority, I believe is what I read. And simultaneously, they voted for issue two, which allows for the Constitution to be amended so that that kind of thing doesn't happen again, that kind of monopolization, uh, that kind of legislation that allows for a monopoly to actually be put on the ballot. So that's really exciting, the fact that voters, uh, however you know, much they want medical cannabis right now, they weren't willing to compromise that in order to make a handful of people really rich and powerful and keep all of that to themselves. I think it shows that people are thinking about the fact that they deserve the right to own their cannabis, to grow their cannabis, and and to have access to it on their terms. And that's wonderful. Uh, Along that line, Mexico's Supreme Court just ruled yesterday in favor of allowing the personal use and distribution of cannabis. That is huge. It doesn't decriminalize it. It doesn't make it legal at all, but it really opens the door for legislation to come in and do all that groundwork because Mexico has been devastated, absolutely devastated 
uh, I mean, and all of Latin America has been devastated by America's war on drugs and the treaties that we signed them into and the criminality that is rampant throughout so much of that area uh, because of the poverty and, and things like that. And this has to be the first step to them really regaining control in a lot of countries. And a lot of countries are standing up for themselves now. More and more, those countries are standing up for themselves and fighting back and saying, look, this is ridiculous that we are having the violence that we're experiencing here while it's legal in America. I think it's wonderful to see these countries fighting back and standing up for themselves and doing what's right, finding other avenues. Uh, so we're going to move on to the next segment, which is a new segment that isn't really new since every week I go over the things that I forgot to speak about the last week. I'm just going to start calling them stoner moments. And it doesn't really have anything to do with me being stoned so much. I'm sure that I could do this completely sober and there's still going to be things that I forgot about. But let's talk about some of the things I forgot last week. Stoner moments. Uh, the Buddha boxes. I mentioned that vaporization is primarily gentle application of heat to ground flour, but it didn't give you a whole lot of options other than the volcano and the packs. But the most common uh, option that's available is a Buddha box. It's what most parents have been using for generations and what you might have vaporized on for the very first time. It's usually a wooden box with a hookah tube attachment that has two glass ends, one of them for your cannabis, and then one of them for you to suck out of. So a Buddha box is a great option if you're looking to get into to vaporization. Another thing that I didn't specify or finish talking about was when I use the shatter treatment for my back, <laughs> that took place over the course of four days, and there were four or five total applications throughout. But I have to say, since then, there hasn't been any issue with my back that was related to that by any means. Um, it lasted through yoga. It lasted through showers. And after a while, my back was back to normal. And I, I just, I can't even believe how amazing it was. It did take a few days. So I don't want it to seem like one application. And then I was completely good because that wasn't what happened. But within one application, I was significantly improved. And that is no lie. Uh, and I think, I think that was it. That concludes our stoner moments for this week. All right, but you've been vaporizing now. You've got all this vaporized material that hopefully you're saving. You don't want to throw that away. It's called ABV Alpha Bravo Victor, and that's called already been vaporized material. That is great material to make things like edibles. If you don't want to make edibles, you can make tinctures with it too. So hold on to it. We'll talk about that next week. But if you want to make it for edibles, you have material that has already been decarboxylized. So if you're following Bad Kitty Smiles recipe, you can go ahead and skip the decarboxylation step and go straight to putting it into the oil. Now, decarboxylation may be a new term for some people or an unfamiliar term that you've heard thrown around before. And a carboxyl group is a group of molecules that hang around things like THC, and they're called THCA. It's the acidic form when it has the carboxyl group attached. 
But in order to allow THC to cross the blood-brain barrier, you have to get rid of that carboxyl group. It kind of, uh, it kind of blocks it from being able to, to pass through that barrier. Not everybody is going to want an activated form of edible, but an activated form of edible is going to be the only form that actually gets you stoned or uh, provides a therapeutic level of relaxation and things like that. That's not to say that THCA or CBDA or any acidic forms of cannabis that are available won't be therapeutic to you. That's that's not true at all. I know that some people are using inactive edibles to fight Crohn's disease, which is a really hard disease to battle uh, to begin with anyway. You can find a lot of relief from smoking it, but if you actually want to try to reverse the damage that Crohn's has done, you have to get the medicine into your intestines. And that's what makes a true edible is intestinal absorption that gets uh, metabolized through the liver and is then put into your bloodstream where it crosses the blood-brain barrier. However, it doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier as the all-familiar THC Delta 9. It actually gets metabolized into a different form, which is what they're testing for when they do drug tests. So edibles aren't going to be a way to help you get over that drug test if you've got one coming up. We got other options for that. Uh, most edibles that are available on the market are going to be activated. They are going to be THC or CBD, whether that's because of the start material that was already heated up or because it was a cookie and it needed to be heated up or because THC is far more popular than THCA when you're talking brownies, which is pretty much the case. But don't worry, you can still make your own if you're looking for an acidic version. Uh, the difference is you're not going to apply any heat to it. So, you know, whether you're making edibles or smoking, you know, you have to light it or vaporizing, you have to apply heat. All forms of medicating with THC or CBD are going to require some sort of heat. If you don't want that, you have to take the heat out of the equation. That means sunlight uh, or any gentle warmth around it. So to do a cold press, you need a dark glass bottle and a dark cool cabinet. And uh, you wait a couple of weeks to allow the the cannabinoids and whatever method you're using to absorb. There's a lot of information out there on people who have done it with different oils and with alcohols. Oil's going to take a lot longer to cold press than an alcohol is going to. Some people like to agitate it during the process. Some people prefer not to agitate it. That's going to be completely up to you. Uh, and in the safety, I'll give you some tips for how to track your progress. Uh, it's just a microscope if you're not going to make it, but we'll talk more about that later. All right, let's say that you followed Bad Kitty Smile's recipe and you've got your either cold pressed tincture or you've got your coconut oil or clarified butter or whatever you're going to use in order to make these edibles. You can make everything from brownies, caramels. If it requires an alcohol, a fat, or an oil, you can make it into a can of treat. And that doesn't have to actually be a treat treat either with sugar. It can be anything. People make it with pasta. People add it to their salad dressings. People just take uh, supplements of oil. You know, if you just want to take a spoonful of oil, if you're crazy like that. You know, really getting the information that this is more than just brownies and suckers and treats like that uh, is really important because this is going to be a food 
supplement that is going to be in a lot of stuff when the health industry realizes, well, I should say when people in general realize how much cannabis is revolutionizing the health industry. But before it's in everything you find, you're going to have to do a little experimentation. And as with all the other forms, the best way to do this is to start slowly, really, really slowly with edibles, because the first thing you're going to be aware of is they take longer to hit and they hit you way fucking harder than than most other things. Suppositories actually hit you the hardest, but most people aren't going to be using suppositories. So for a more popular version, edibles are the hardest hitting method you will probably be using to get high or to medicate. On average, I would say it takes between 15 minutes and two hours for people to feel the effects of an edible. That's completely dependent on the absorption rate through your intestine, as well as how well your liver is metabolizing it. I have met a girl who actually felt her throat numb from one bite of brownie. She only ever took one bite And then she was done and she could feel her throat numb out as it went down. And then she would slowly feel her entire body begin to to respond as the cannabinoids began to flood throughout. And she could feel the different uh, changes that went through. That's not going to be everybody. Most people are not going to feel it go down their throat. But that's going to be some people. So if this is your first time, pay attention And if you have something like a brownie or a caramel that's going to act like that, uh, that's going to be against your throat, great. Another option that I'm really fond of are capsules, and it doesn't work like that because they have the capsule around them. I'm not going to feel it in my throat. I'm not going to feel it until it's actually released in my uh, stomach and then absorbed through my intestines. Uh, But usually on average, it takes about 15 to 25 minutes for me to begin to feel an edible Now I make a lot of home edibles out of tested material, so I have a vague idea of what the potency of my capsules are with a little bit of math. Uh, You can't always be sure because I'm not entirely sure that I'm extracting all the cannabinoids out and I'm not testing the material, though that is available to me. It's just too expensive for my at-home. I think it's like 50 bucks. And for if I'm making, you know, 120 capsules... They're going to last me a few months. 50 bucks might be an option for me, but not right now. I would love to be able to, to routinely test my material, though, and I definitely hope that the science goes in that direction for at-home testing that is really reliable, uh, but it's not there yet. There is some testing that's available for flowers, um, but not for oils, if, I, if I'm up to date on that. So... Moving right along, if you would like to get into edibles, start slowly. And then if you have the opportunity to get to a dispensary or use retail products, I would absolutely suggest you going to a trusted retail product, uh, preferably maybe one that has one in a cannabis cup or two in the past. It doesn't have to be the cannabis cup. It could be a few cups. There are a lot of different cannabis related cup tournaments out there now but that's a really good way to make sure that you're getting in with somebody who has a good reputation i also prefer that they have not only tested material but that the cannabinoid content 
is written on the package. So it's going to tell me how many milligrams of THC is there, how many milligrams of CBD is there, um, potentially how many milligrams of CBN is there. Um, that is one of the last cannabinoids in the degradation process. So it really shows you how many heating processes this material has been through if it has a large amount of CBN. On top of that, I also prefer to know if it's indica, sativa, or a hybrid, which to be fair, most retail products do not say. Um, and and then even beyond that, I really prefer to know which strain it is on top of that because you're still getting a lot of those effects from the strain out of your edible experience. So if they're just throwing a bunch of cannabis together and trying to make a batch out of it, just like if you're trying to get high again, mixing strains together is going to give you a, a fucked up crazy feeling. When you take an edible and it's a bunch of mixed strains, you're going to get a crazy fucked up feeling, which is pretty sure what I had yesterday. And I even had CBD with it. Uh, I tried the Bang chocolate bar yesterday and each bar segment had 15 megs of THC, which is my normal consumption, and 15 megs of CBD, which is a little bit higher than my normal megs of consumption for CBD. What I wasn't thinking about and accounting for, however, was the total cannabinoid content, which meant that I was then taking 30 megs of cannabinoids, which was twice as much as my normal dosage. In my brain, I was thinking, oh, it's got CBD too, so it should be pretty mellow. And to be fair, it was. It was a much more mellow experience than if I had simply taken too much THC by itself. And I was able to still get things done. I recorded my podcast. I had an outline that I worked on. I just was a little disjointed and keeping clear thoughts and a clear train of thought process and, and all that kind of stuff that actually helps you be coherent, um, which is kind of important when you're trying to help people out. It was pretty fun, though, I got to say. Uh, so... Even if you're using CBD with the, with your edibles, be careful of the total cannabinoid content. If you are experimenting with THC for the first time, then, and if you can, absolutely have a CBD edible on hand too. You can either use it in conjunction with your THC edible, though again, make sure to watch out for total cannabinoid content, or you can hold on to it and use it to kind of bring down and even out a high that has gone out of control. So if you buy a brownie and eat half that brownie and have decided that that half a brownie was too fucking much for you to have eaten, you know, two hours into it, um, let's say that brownie started to hit you about 30 minutes in. If you take a CBD two hours into it, it'll take you probably another 30 minutes for the CBD to get through your system. If you can wait that 30 minutes, which you're going to have to anyway, because that high ain't going fucking anywhere. Well, then you should find out that the anxiety that you're feeling, maybe the muscle tension that you're experiencing, uh, is lessened. And it is much more manageable. That is the CBD kicking in. It isn't just the THC leaving your system, though that's probably going on too. Either way, the CBD is going to help you recover mentally, probably a little bit more easily. It's just going to help you be grounded in reason uh, a little bit more easily so you don't continue running off with your emotions. 
The minimum amount of time that you should be waiting before you increase your dose is four hours. I've known people who waited uh, three and a half hours and doubled their dosage because they didn't feel anything. And a half an hour into it, they were flying so high that they actually got sick. They, they got the spins and they got sick. Now, part of the problem was they didn't wait a full four hours. And the other part of the problem is that they doubled their dosage, which is something you don't want to do. Again, you're looking for total cannabinoid content. So if you're unhappy with the experience you get, slowly begin to add to your dosage in tiny increments. So maybe five megs, then 10 megs. Uh, milligrams may not seem like a lot, but when it's your body responding to it, it's very effective. As you become more familiar with the milligrams that your body needs, and it is different for everyone, I might have mentioned it before, but I personally take about 15 milligrams on average, whereas my sister, who was not a regular smoker for as long as I have been and still does not smoke nearly as much as I do on a regular basis, requires three times that uh, in order to get a good experience out of it. She needs to take 45 milligrams of THC in order to feel a therapeutic response. And that has to do with the ability of her intestines to absorb the cannabinoids and then the way that her liver is processing them. I have found that people who have had to deal with pain a lot to the point where they are routinely taking pain medication, especially codeine or, or opioids, uh, to deal with that pain for an extended period of time, they tend to have a harder time uh, metabolizing the cannabinoids. Maybe that's because the codeine has affected their intestinal lining and so they're just not absorbing it. The uptake isn't as good. It may not be for everybody and it'll probably be dependent on the potency that they needed to begin with before those pain pills were introduced. But I have found pretty regularly that people who use pain pills may need a higher cannabinoid content than the average user. That doesn't mean that if you've been using pain pills for the last 15 years, you should start with 45 milligrams of cannabis. You are still starting slowly until you know. But if you find that an average dose, which is again, 10 to 20 milligrams, I like 15 myself. If an average dose doesn't work for you, slowly begin to work it up and don't feel like you are taking way more than what is necessary or is acceptable for other people or normal by any means, because everybody's different. But once you nail down that milligram dosage, Consistency is really key to a therapeutic use of it. You want to have a consistent cannabinoid uh, content. And if you can keep that cannabinoid content on those levels routinely, you should find a lot of positive response with that. Now, while you are medicating, and since you know now that oils, fats, and alcohols are the way to make the THC bioavailable, that is how we get our, our uh, cannabinoids into our system, you also want to make sure that if you have ingested an edible, you're not eating any oils, fats, or alcohols unless you are trying to further the effect of that edible because anything you add on top of your little half a brownie that you ate is just going to further exacerbate it. So if you have a brownie that is medicated with a glass of milk, that milk is actually going to make it more potent than if you had eaten it without it. So maybe if you shared that brownie with a friend who didn't eat the milk, 
and you guys had two different experiences, that could absolutely be a reason for it. So just make sure that you're you're watching what you eat. Don't continue to eat the edible that you got. If you, uh, oh, they have those little Kiva espresso bites and they aren't super potent, which is great for people who need a lower MIG dosage or who want to start slowly because I think there's four or five MIGs in each of the uh, the coffee bean espresso bites. It's a, a chocolate covered espresso bean. and uh, And you can kind of pop those in and they're delicious. But the problem is you start popping them and before you know it, you've eaten six of them and that's 30 migs of THC. So that's too much as I proved to myself yesterday. So if you're going to get a fun stoner treat type of edible and you're pretty sure that it's going to be so delicious, you're going to want to eat more or that you're going to get the munchies, make sure that you've got other similarly non-medicated type of foodstuffs around. All right. One of the nice movements in edibles lately are concentrates. People are using CO2 extracted cannabis or BHOs or various other concentrates for their edibles. And that's great because it really allows for a more consistent dosage and consistency is key. So that's wonderful. If you want to use concentrates in your edibles, uh, it's absolutely doable. You need to make sure that your decarboxylation stage is really slow and well controlled. The emulsification into the oil or alcohol is going to take a lot longer than it would for flour or hash, but the financial repercussions and lack of waste and things like that absolutely make up for it. And they can really be very, very, very fucking potent. If, uh, Potency is something that you're really looking for. Making edibles with an activated BHO kicked my ass. I don't even try them anymore. Uh, I made them once to try it out and I didn't even decarboxylate it the full way. I just kind of heated it for uh, maybe an hour or so in a, a coffee cup warmer type setting. And within 15 minutes, I, I needed to go to sleep. Uh, and I woke up with a stoner hangover. You can wake up with a stoner hangover. Uh, furthermore, I remember when I was working at the dispensary, a lady had called and she had been using an Indica product for sleep, which was working really, really well. She liked it. Um, but she said that she was waking up and she felt depressed and she thought that she was being kind of silly And I let her know that that absolutely is not being silly. If you use an indica regularly for sleep, you may find yourself after a while feeling a little depressed. And mixing that with a CBD is a really good way to to counteract that because I've had that problem myself too, using uh, my sleepy time pills that are indica based. Uh, I can wake up grouchier than I should after uh, a week or so of regular use for having slept so well, I shouldn't wake up so grouchy. And it's because in some ways it triggers my depression and mixing my sleepy time pills with CBD has helped reduce that. Um, but being that I already suffer from depression, sometimes I just have to wake up and take a happy time pill, uh, first thing in the morning. So that's another option too. If depression is something you're already dealing with, making sure that you have a good, counterbalance of sativa and indica will uh, balance out your medication schedule Uh, on top of that CBD. Don't forget that. All right, you guys, let's safety. Smoking on some dream queen right now that I got out of a dispensary. 
And it's not a dream queen that I'm usually used to. Dream queen usually has like a fruity creaminess to it uh, with just a slight skunk. The one I have right now is it's a lot more skunk and a lot of citrus. And it's it's two very distinct uh, scents going on in there. Uh, I did not bring my microscope with me to the dispensary, but it is one of my favorite things to use when I come back. If you want to up your game into a more connoisseur type level, I absolutely suggest you get yourself a pocket microscope. I use the Kind Scope. I've had it for years now. It's really tiny. It's only about an inch, uh, two inches by two inches, actually, I'd say. It fits really easily into my purse or my pocket, and I can travel with it. Though most dispensaries don't let you actually touch the weed, so I stopped bringing it with me because if they don't have samples out, it becomes really difficult to try and check your cannabinoids out. But I use them to check out the trichomes on uh, my plant. Now, the Dream Queen has great cloudy trichomes with really well-formed long stalks and small heads. I usually prefer a larger head on my trichome. <laughs> I like big head. And um, a nice modeling of amber and white cloudiness. Those are the trichomes that I prefer. So well done to me. You may prefer uh, a stickier version of weed, which is going to have more terpene production, a really oily, slicky type of trichome looking. Uh, there's going to be more clear uh, trichomes that are involved. Knowing what your preferred trichome coverage looks like really helps you narrow down your medicine even more. So the strain may be a commonly used one by you that, that if you know that Blue Dream is a great one, Blue Dream works for so many people, but you are finding that Blue Dream is inconsistent. It may be the trichome development that you need to become familiar with, that a certain level of trichome and terpene production is what's best for you. Now, obviously, having tested material can go a long way in, in that kind of self-discovery as well, but that isn't always available in all places, and I, like I said, I love science, so I had a microscope kit as a kid. And I can look at weed under a microscope all day long. I know that they have the USB ones too that you can actually plug into your computer. And uh, they have all kinds of different magnifications. So if you need it more macrocosmic than microcosmic or vice versa, you can totally zoom in and out and take pictures on your computer and save them. It's a... Uh, it's so much fun. I have so much fun with it. The KindScope actually attaches to the iPhone case. Last time I looked and you can take pictures with your iPhone. I don't have an iPhone, unfortunately. Uh, so I don't get to take pictures with my phone. And I don't think they've made anything that crosses over into the Android platform. But it has never stopped me from using my KindScope. I love it. So I guess this is it. My final advice, get yourself a microscope. And, uh, oh, no, no, before I, I, I stop, one other thing about the KindScope, the version that I have, is that it also has a UV light on it. So that's a purple light on top of the white light that helps me see the magnification through the lens. Uh, the UV light helps me identify 
powdery mildew, and uh, other types of mold and pest that might be on a cannabis plant. And for that, you don't even have to look very hard. You can just shine the light over it. And if you see anything that shines really bright white, chances are that's a powdery mildew. If it's really furry too, then it's definitely a powdery mildew. Now, a lot of times the stalk of the plant is going to show up as a bright whiteness or sometimes the little stocky hairs around the stalk. That is not the same thing as powdery mildew. And and getting that really web-like furriness uh, to your, your whiteness, that's going to be the first key that it is powdery mildew. It looks furry. Your weed should not look furry. Hairy, but that's different. All right, you guys, thanks for hanging out with me. You can go ahead and call me at 209-86-SPLIFF. That's 209-867-7543. Or you can find me on Facebook and Twitter. I am Spliff Podcast or The Spliff Podcast. I am on Instagram, though I'm pretty inactive right now, unfortunately. If you aren't listening on a platform you prefer, I'm also on SoundCloud if you prefer that instead. You can donate via Patreon if you feel like helping support my efforts in this. Uh, Or you can just keep tuning in week after week and share with your friends or anyone whom you feel may benefit from all of this information. I can't wait to see what happens next week in this political arena, uh, but we will be talking about tinctures, sublinguals, and suppositories uh, on top of that. And I'll see you then. Ciao for now. Kind of like my friend who uh, was telling me the other day, he was like, it's so funny when I'm listening to your podcast at work and like I'm listening to your voice and I can hear your voice while I'm in the bathroom taking a shit. And it's just like, it's crazy for me. And I'm like, holy shit, that's crazy for me to have heard. But what's up, Cameron? I hope that everything's going smoothly for you.